how unworthy that God should use me above 40 years in so comfortable a work is pleading and writing for love, peace, and concord with so much success. What, what mercy had I amidst the calamities of a civil war to live two years in safety at Coventry, a city of defense, and in the heart of the kingdom? When I afterwards saw the effects of human folly and fury and of God's displeasure in the ruin of towns and countries and in the fields covered with carcasses of the slain, how mercifully was I preserved and brought home in peace. And oh, how great was the mercy showed me in a peaceable, humble, unanimous people so numerous, so exemplary, and who to this day maintain their integrity and concord when for thirty-one years I have been forced to remain at a distance from them. What a mercy when I might not speak by voice to any single congregation to be enabled to speak by writings too many and to have the plainest writings attended with success and some of them sent to preach in foreign lands and languages. Though I have been sent to the common jail for my service and obedience to God, yet He has there kept me in peace and soon delivered me. And how often has He succored me when nature and art have failed? How He has cured my consumptive costs stopping my flowing blood, eased my pain limbs, and upheld my emaciated skeleton. I have had fifty years added to my days, though I expected not to live one of them, and what strange deliverances have been wrought for me upon the importunate requests of many hundreds of my praying friends. How have I been kept in ordinary health and safety when the raging pestilence came near my habitation and consumed an hundred thousand citizens? And how was my dwelling preserved when I saw London, the glory of the land, in flames? These and many more are my experiences of that wonderful mercy which has measured my pilgrimage and filled up my days. Never did God break His promise with me. Never did He fail or forsake me. And shall I now distrust Him at last? To Thee, O Lord, as to a faithful Creator, I commit my soul. I know that Thou art the faithful. Number two. Hope also for the salvation of God. Hope is the ease, yea, the life of our hearts, which would otherwise break and even die within us. Despair is no small part of hell. God cherishes hope, and he is a lover of souls. Satan, our enemy, cherishes despair when his more usual way of presumption fails. Hope anticipates salvation as fear does evil. It is the hypocrite's hope that perishes, and all who hope for durable happiness on earth must be deceived. But happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, which keepeth truth forever. Woe to me if in this life only I had hope, but the righteous hath hope in his death. And hope maketh not a shame. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. Lay hold then, O my soul, upon the hope that set before thee, and it is thy sure and steadfast anchor, without which thou wilt be as a shipwrecked vessel." Thy foundation is sure, even God Himself. Our faith and hope are both in God. Christ dwells in our hearts by faith, is in us the hope of glory. By this hope, better than the law of Moses could bring, we draw nigh unto God. We hope for that we see not, and with patience wait for it. We are saved by hope. It is an encouraging grace. It excites our diligence and helps to full assurance unto the end. It is a desiring grace, and is in an earnest to obtain the glory hoped for. It is a comforting grace, for the God of hope fills us with all joy and peace in believing, that we may abound in hope and through the power of the Holy Ghost. Shake off despondency, O my soul, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
believe in hope, though dying flesh would tell thee that it is against hope. What blessed preparations are made for our hope? God has confirmed it by two immutable things, His promise and His oath. His abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Christ to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for us. Grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior. We are renewed by the Holy Ghost and justified by grace that we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The eyes of our understanding are enlightened that we may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of this inheritance in the saints. The hope which is laid up for us in heaven hath, through the gospel, brought life and immortality to light. Having hope toward God, we exercise ourselves to have always a conscious void of offense and serve God day and night. For in helmet we put on the hope of salvation. Death is not to us as to others which have no hope. Our Lord Jesus Christ and God, even our Father, has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace to comfort our hearts and establish us in every good word and work. We must hold fast the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end and continue in the faith grounded and settled and not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in Thee. Uphold me according to Thy word that I may live and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Though our iniquities testify against us, yet, O Lord, the hope of Israel, the Savior thereof in time of trouble, be not as a stranger, leave us not. We have been showed the praises of the Lord and His wonderful works that we might set our hope in God. Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in His word do I hope. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is plenteous redemption. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him, and those that hope in His mercy. Though my flesh and my heart faileth, God is the strength of my heart. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth and that he keepeth silence, and putteth his mouth in the dust, if so be there may be hope. God needs not flatter such worms as we are, nor promise us what he never means to perform. He has laid the rudiments of our hope in a nature capable of desiring, seeking, and thinking of another life. He has called me by grace to actual desires and endeavors, and has vouchsafed some foretastes. I look for no heaven but the perfection of divine life, light and love and endless glory with Christ and the saints, and this he has already begun in me. And shall I not boldly hope when I have capacity, the promise and the earnest and foretaste? Is it not God himself that caused me to hope? Was not nature promise and grace from him? And can a soul miscarry and be deceived that departs hence in a hope of God's own producing and encouraging? Lord, I lived in hope. I have prayed, labored, suffered, and waited in hope. And by thy grace I will die in hope. And is not this according to thy word and will? And wilt thou cast away a soul that hopes in thee by thine own command and operation? Had wealth and honor and continuance on earth or the favor of man been my reward and hope, my hope and I had died together. Were this our best, how vain were man. 
but the Lord liveth, and my Redeemer is glorified and intercedes for me. And the same Spirit is in heaven who is in my heart, as the same Son is in the firmament and in my house. The promise is sure to all Christ's seed, for millions are now in heaven who once lived and died in hope. They were sinners once, as I now am. They had no Savior, Sanctifier, or promise that I now have. Confessing that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly, where they now are. And shall I not follow them in hope, who has sped so well? Then, O my soul, hope unto the end. Hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. I will hope continually and will yet praise Him more and more. My mouth shall show forth His righteousness and salvation. The Lord is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. God has showed me the path of life. In His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Number three. What then remains but that in faith and hope I love my God, my Savior, my Comforter, the glorious society, and my own perfection and glory better than this burden of flesh and this howling wilderness? How odious is that darkness and unbelief, that unholiness and disaffection, that deadness and stupidity which makes such love seem hard and unsuitable? Is it unsuitable or hard for the eye to see the light or the beauties of creation? Or for a man to love his life or health, his father or his friend? What should be easier to a nature that has rational love than to love him who is love itself? He that loveth all and gives to all the capacity to love should be loved by all. And he that has especially loved me should especially be loved by me. Love desires to please God and therefore to be in the most pleasing state and free from all that is displeasing to him which is not to be hoped for on earth. It desires all suitable nearness, acquaintance, union, and communion. It is weary of distance and alienation. It takes advantage of every notice of God to renew and exercise these desires. Every message and mercy from God is fuel for love. And while we are short of perfection, stirs up our desires after more of God. The soul is where it loves. If our friends dwell in our hearts by love, and if fleshly pleasures, riches, and honor dwell in the hearts of the voluptuous, covetous, and proud, Surely God in Christ, heaven and holiness dwell in the heart which loves Him fervently. And if heaven dwell in my heart, shall I not desire to dwell in heaven? Would divine love more plentifully pour itself upon my heart, how easy would it be to leave this flesh and world? Death and the grave would be but a triumph for victorious love. It would be easier to die in peace and joy than to go to rest at night after a fatiguing day or night when I am hungry. A little love has made me willingly study, preach, write, and even suffer. And would not more love make me willingly go to God? Shall the imagination of house, gardens, walks, libraries, prospects, and so on allure the desires of deceived minds? And shall not the thoughts of heavenly mansions, converse, and joys more powerfully draw up my desires? Can I love such a world as this, where tyranny sheds streams of blood and lays cities and countries desolate, where the wicked are exalted, the just and innocent reproached and oppressed, the gospel restrained and idolatry and infidelity prevail? And shall I not think more delightfully of the inheritance of the saints and light and of the cordial love and joyful praises of the church triumphant? Should I not love a lovely and loving world much better than a world where there is comparatively so little loveliness or love? All that is of God is good and lovely. But here His glory shines not in felicitating splendor. I am taught to look upward when I pray, Our Father which art in heaven. God's works are amiable even in hell. 
And yet, though I would know them, I would not be there. And alas, how much of the works of man are here mixed with the works of God. Here is God's wisdom, but man's folly. God's government, but man's tyranny. God's love and mercy, but man's wrath and cruelty. Much of God's beautiful order and harmony, but much of man's deformity and confusion. Here is much truth and justice, but how it is mixed. Here are wise, judicious teachers and companions, but comparatively how few. Here are worthy and religious families, but by the temptations of wealth and worldly interest, how full even of the sins of Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness, if not also of unmercifulness to the poor. And how few pious families of the great that do not quickly degenerate from their progenitors by error or sensuality. Here are some that educate their children wisely in the fear of God and accordingly have comfort in them. But how many are there that train them up to the service of the world, the flesh and the devil? How many send their children to get sciences, trades, or to travel in foreign lands before ever they were instructed at home against those temptations which they must encounter and by which they are so often undone? How uncommonly, when they have first neglected this great duty to their children, do they plead the necessity of thrusting them out? from some punctilio of honor or conformity to the world or to adorn them with some of the plumes of fashionable models and ceremonies which will never compensate the loss of heavenly wisdom, mortification, and the love of God and man as if they might send them to sea for some trifling reason without pilot or anchor and think that God must save them from the waves. And when such children have forsaken God and given themselves up to sensuality and profaneness, these parents wonder at the judgments of God and with broken hearts lament their own infelicity and instead of lamenting their own misconduct. Thus families, churches, and kingdoms run on to blindness and godliness and confusion. Folly and sin and misery mistaken themselves for wit, honor, and prosperity are the ordinary pursuits of mortals. Such a bedlam is most of the world become that he is the bravest man who can sit and be damned with reputation and renown and successfully draw the greatest number with him to hell. This is a world which stands in competition for my love with the spiritual blessed world. In this world I have had many of God's mercies and comforts, but their sweetness was their taste of divine love and their tendency to heavenly perfection. What was the end and use of all the good that ever I saw or that God ever did for my soul or body but to teach me to love Him and to desire to love Him more? Wherever I go and whichever way I look, I see vanity and vexation written upon all things in this world so far as they stand in competition with God. And I see holiness to the Lord written upon everything so far as it leads me to Him as my ultimate end. The emptiness, danger, and bitterness of the world and the all-sufficiency, faithfulness, and goodness of God have been the sum of all the experiences of all my life. And shall a worldly backward heart overcome the teachings of nature, Scripture, the Spirit of grace, and all experience? O oh my God, love is Thy great and special gift. All good is from Thee. Come into this heart, for it cannot come up to Thee. Can the plants go up to the sun for life or the eye for light? Dwell in me by the Spirit of love, and I shall dwell by love in thee. I easily feel that through thy grace I love thy word, thy image, thy work. And oh, how heartily do I love to love thee, and how long to know and love thee more. And if all things be of thee, and through thee, and to thee, surely this love is eminently so. It means thee, Lord. It looks to thee. It serves thee. For thee it moves, and seeks and sighs. In thee it trusts. And the hope and peace and comfort which support me are in thee. 
When I was a returning prodigal in rags, thou sawest me afar off, and didst meet me with the caresses of thy love. And shall I doubt whether he that has better clothed me and has dwelt within me will entertain me in the world of love? The suitableness of things below to my fleshly nature has detained my affections too much on earth. And shall not the suitableness of things above to my spiritual nature much more draw up my love to heaven? There is a God whom I have sought and served. He is also here, but veiled and little known. There He shines to heavenly spirits and heavenly glory. There is a Savior in whom I have believed. He also dwelt on earth, but clothed in such meanness and humbled to such a life and death as was to the Jews a stumbling blocks and to the Greeks foolishness. Now He shines and reigns in glory above the malice and contempt of sinners. And I shall live there because He lives, and in His light I shall see light. I had here some rays of heavenly light, but under what eclipses, and even long in winter nights. There I shall dwell in the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, where there is no night nor eclipse. There are heavenly hosts, in whose holy love and joyful praises I would fain partake. I have here, though unseen, had some of their loving assistance, but there I shall be with them of the same nature, and the same triumphant church. There are perfected souls, not striving like the disciples, who should be the greatest, not like Noah in the old world, or Lot in Sodom, or Abraham among idolaters, nor like those that wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, hid in dens and caves of the earth, nor like Job on the dunghill, or Lazarus at the rich man's gate, nor as we poor bewildered sinners, feeling evil and fearing more. Should I fear a darksome passage into a world of perfect light? Should I fear to go to love itself? O excellent grace of faith which foresees, and blessed word of faith which foreshows this world of love. And canst thou doubt, O my soul, whether thou art going to a God that loveth thee? If the Jews discern the great love of Christ to Lazarus by his tears, canst thou not discern his love to thee in his blood? It is not the less precious because shed, not for thee alone, but for many. May I not say I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me? Yea, it is not so much I that live, but Christ liveth in me. And will he forsake the habitation which his love has chosen, and which he has so dearly bought? What shall separate us from the love of God? If life is not, death shall not do it. O oh, my soul, if leaning on Christ's breast at meat was a token of his peculiar love to John, is not his dwelling in thee by faith, and his living in thee by his Spirit a sure token of his love to thee? Did his darkly saying, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Razor reported the beloved disciple should not die. Why should not plain promises assure thee that thou shalt live forever with him that loveth thee? Be not so unthankful, O my soul, as to doubt whether thy heavenly Father and thy Lord love thee. Canst thou forget the sealed testimonies of it? Did I not lately repeat so many as ought to shame thy doubt? A multitude of thy friends have so entirely loved thee that thou canst not doubt of it. And did any of them testify their love with the convincing evidence that God has done? Are they love itself? Is their love so full, so firm and unchangeable as His? I think heaven the sweeter because many of my old lovely, affectionate, holy friends are there, and I am the more willing by death to follow them. And should it not be more pleasing to think that my God and Father, my Savior and Comforter are there? Was not Lazarus in the bosom of God? And yet he is said to be in Abraham's bosom. That is not there alone, but as we are all to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. I am often ready to entertain myself with naming such of my friends as are now with Christ, 
But in heaven they will love me better than they did on earth, and my love to them will be more pleasant. But all these sparks are little to the sun. Every place I have lived in has its monuments of divine love. Every year and hour of my life has been a time of love. Every friend, neighbor, and even enemy have been the messengers and instruments of love. Every state and change of my life, notwithstanding my sin, have opened to me the treasures and mysteries of love. And shall I doubt whether the same God loves me? Is He the God of the hills and not of the valleys? Did He love me in my youth and health, and will He not also in my age and pain and sickness? Did He love all the saints better in their life than at their death? My groans grieve my friends, but abate not their love. God loved me when I was His enemy to make me a friend. God will finish His own work. Oh, the multitude of mercies to my soul and body, in peace and war, in youth and age, to myself and friends. Have I lived in the experience of the love of God to me, and shall I die doubting of it? I am not much in doubt of the truth of my love to Him. I love His word, works, and ways, and would fain be nearer to Him, and love Him more, and loathe myself for loving Him no better. Peter may more confidently say, Thou knowest that I love thee, then I knowest that thou lovest me, because of our knowledge of God's great love is less than His knowledge of our little love. And without the knowledge of our love to God, we can never be sure of His special love to us. I am not entirely a stranger to myself. I know for what I have lived and labored and whom I have desired to please. The God whose I am and whom I serve has loved me in my youth and will love me in my aged weakness. My pains seem grievous, but love chooses them, uses them for my good, moderates them, and will shortly end them. Why then should I doubt of my Father's love? Shall pain or dying make me doubt? Did God never love anybody knock and Elijah? And what am I better than my Father's? Oh, for a clearer, stronger faith. Methinks Daniel's titles, a man greatly beloved, should be enough to make one joyfully love and trust God both in life and death. And have not all the saints that titled in their degrees? What else signifies their mark? Holiness to the Lord. It is but our separation to God as His peculiar, beloved people. And how are we separated but by mutual love? He that is no otherwise beloved than hypocrites and unbelievers must have his portion with them. And the ungodly, unholy, and unregenerate shall not stand in judgment, nor see God, nor enter into His kingdom. Upright souls are to blame for their groundless doubts of God's love, not for their acknowledging it, rejoicing it, or for being solicitous to make it sure. Love brought me into the world and furnished me with a thousand mercies and has provided for me, delivered and preserved me till now. And will it not entertain my separate soul? Is God like a false or insufficient friend that forsakes us in our adversity? I confess I have by sin wronged love, but all except Christ were sinners whom love has purified and received the glory. God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace we are saved, and has raised us up together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, that I could love much, that have so much forgiven, to glorify praise Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood, and has made us kings and priests unto God. Our Father which has loved us has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. I know no sin which I repent not of with self-loathing, and I earnestly beg and labor that none of my sins may be unknown to me. Oh, that God would bless my accusations, that I may not be unknown to myself, though some think me much better than I am. Who can understand His errors? 
Lord, cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. I have an advocate with thee, and thy promise that if we confess our sins, thou wilt forgive them. Wherever I have erred, O Lord, make it known to me that my confession may prevent the sin of others. And where I have not erred, confirm and accept me in the right. And since an unworthy worm has had so many testimonies of thy love, let me not, when thou sayest, I have loved thee, unthankfully ask, Wherein hast thou loved me? Heaven is not more spangled with stars than thy word and works with the refulgent signatures of love. Thy well-beloved Son, the Son of thy love, undertaketh the message and work of the greatest love, was full of the spirit of love, which he shed abroad in the hearts of thine elect, that the love of the Father and the grace of the Son and the communion of the Spirit may be their hope and life. By his works, sufferings, and gifts, as well as by his comfortable word, he said to his disciples, As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Lord, how shall we continue in it but by the thankful belief of thy love and loveliness, desiring still to love thee more, and in all things to know and do thy will, which thou knowest is my soul's desire? Draw nearer, O my soul, to the Lord of love. And be not seldom and slight in thy contemplation of his love and loveliness. Dwell in the sunshine, and thou wilt know that it is light and warm and comfortable. Distance and strangeness cherish thy doubts. Acquaint thyself with them, and be at peace. Look up often, and earnestly look up after thy ascended glorified head. Think where and what he is, and what he is now doing for all his own, and once abased. Suffering love is now triumphant, reigning glorified love and therefore not less now than in all its tender expressions on earth. Had I done this more and better, and as I have persuaded others to do it, I had lived in more convincing delights of God's love, which would have turned the fears of death into more joyful hopes and more earnest desires to be with Christ. And the arms in the world in the life of love is far better than to be here in a world of darkness, doubts, and fears. But, O oh, my Father, Thou infinite love, though my arguments be many and strong, my heart is bad, my strength is weakness, and I am insufficient to plead the cause of Thy love and loveliness to myself or others. O oh, plead Thy own cause, and what heart can resist? Let it not be my word only but Thine, that Thou lovest me, even me a sinner. Say, is Christ to Lazarus? Arise. Tell me, as Thou dost, that the sun is warm, yea, as Thou didst, that my parents and dearest friends love me. Yep. Tell me as by the consciousness and works of life thou tellest me that thou hast given me life, that while I can say, Thou that knowest all things knowest that I love thee, I may infer, therefore I know I am beloved of thee. Thus let me come to thee in the confidence of thy love, and long to be nearer, in the clearest sight, the fuller sense, and more joyful exercise of love forever. Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com.
We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.